Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. This is a series on God's design for men and women and the thriving of humanity. And we've looked, and we, take, we did an overview, then we looked at the role of men and women in the church, and then uh, just by way of review, let's, let me let's just talk a little bit about what Daniel talked about last week, where he highlighted that men and women are equal in value, in worth, and in dignity. Okay, now you think, well, that, of course they are. Well, historically, you could go to some churches, and that was not, was not the case. Okay, but we are unapologetic. Men and women are both created in God's image, and they both reflect God's character. Okay, they are equally valuable, they're equally important, and they're equally blessed. And they are given distinct roles within the church and within the family. Okay, we, that was a little bit of review. If you remember, we looked in the garden, because we always wanted to go to the beginning. We looked in the garden um, in Genesis chapter 3, and we saw where Eve was the one who disobeyed. She was deceived, and she disobeyed and ate of the tree first. But then we saw that it was Adam who was actually held responsible for that. But it didn't stop in Genesis to learn that truth. Actually, it's written about in the New Testament as well, many of you maybe read this verse and just skipped over it, but in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, now I just told you how sin came into the world, right? The garden, a tree, Eve deceived, she ate, of course then Adam ate, but Eve ate first. Sin entered the world, and, but, but in the New Testament, just as sin came into the world through Eve? That's kind of weird. Just as sin came in the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, who's held responsible? So I'm going to pray because we're going to talk pretty heavily this morning. And I'm just going to up front tell you we're going to talk pretty heavily to the men in the room this morning. God, I pray that I would get your grace this morning. And I pray that the, everyone in this room would give me grace as they hear this morning. For you to get glory, that's it. Like, that's it. Your glory here this morning is the only thing that matters. So God, get it today. Um... To the men in the room, let me just address you really quickly. Um, number one, I care for you. I mean, I care for all of you, but I want to tell the men as I'm talking today, I care for you, and I love you, and I want you to know that. And we're going to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today because I love you and I care for you. Um, number two, I want to be very clear about this. Talking to you this morning is a guilty man. 
Okay, so if you're visiting here, like we're super raw around here. Like we're, we're not polished. Like I'm not, like Daniel and I, we're not like pastors up here. Like just talk to our people, they'll tell you. And I just want you to know it's a guilty man talking to you today. So at any moment, I do not want you to feel like I'm doing this because I'm not. Like I had to study and eat on this stuff for like a month. And then last, I'll tell you, I'm going to share some resources at the end of the gathering with you guys of some of the books that I've read as, as we prepared for this series. Um, and you can jot those down, but I, they all, I want to recommend all of them to you. Um, but I'm going to give you some resources, okay? Um, ladies, let me talk to you just for a minute, specifically the married ladies. Um, this is not a good day for you to, like, give the look, <laughs> okay? Or... Like the elbow nudge thing, like let's just put that in the closet for today. <laughs> Otherwise, it won't go well for you. So here's what we know. Before church, before government, there was family. There was first family. And what was the job of that family? What was the role of that family? And I would say the number one role, number one goal of the family was to reflect and to show the image of God. Like the number one role of your family is not to create this happy place that you can call home. Now, isn't God so gracious to us to give us the chance to create happy places to call home? But that's not the number one goal of the family. The number one goal of the family is to put on display the image and the glory of God. Now to those in this room like, man, I was raised in a family and we didn't do anything like that. I know, but it's not the design's fault. That is the design. And I just want you to know, if you grew up in a family that had no clue how to put on display the glory of God, that was not the way God would have had it for you. That was not his initial design. But he will use that for his glory. He will use your broken family for his glory. Rest in that. Why? Because we just read he's rich in mercy. So the number one goal for the family is put on display the image and the glory of God. Now here's what I believe. If the enemy, who is all about messing up the image and glory of God, like that is, the, that is his task. So if the enemy can distort and pervert the man of the family, then the family is toast. And therefore, the image of God in the family no longer exists. And we see this like a couple times in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. We see it in Matthew chapter 12. We see it in Mark chapter 3. I'll read Mark's account. And here's what he says. Pay attention to this. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the women and children of the house? No, no, no. Unless he first binds the strong man, and then indeed he may plunder his house. Single guys, look at me. He will try to bind you before you ever have a house. This is for you today. So, Under Armour, right? It's this gear... Uh, that you wear, uh, I don't know, maybe if you play sports or you just like how it feels, I don't know. Um, but you guys all know what Under Armour is. They stole 
this tagline from the Bible. They didn't know it, but they had this marketing uh, approach. And if you remember back in the day, they would have this big tough guy he'd come on the screen and he would say, we must protect this house. Everybody remember that? Okay, they stole that from the Bible, which kudos to them, that's where they should. But um, men, I want you to repeat after me. Yes, we're getting interactive. I want you to repeat after me right now. I must protect my house. Okay, listen, like, like get in here with me, okay? Men, I must protect my house. I must protect my house. Ladies, um, you know you're giving, you are given a very specific role from the word of God to protect your house as well. And like, in the book of Titus is where we find that. And it's a warrior term. Like it's a warrior term to keep watch. Ladies, you are to be a sniper of your home. Like you're supposed to identify anything that threatens your home and you eliminate that threat. Ladies, repeat after me. I must protect my house. I must protect my house. See, I'm going to have you do it again, even though you don't need to. <laughs> I must protect my house. Like, I don't ever want to communicate that we have these fragile little ladies who need their big, strong men to do the tough stuff for them. The fragile little lady is not the women of Hill City Church. Like, do you know who I'm married to? (laughs) Ladies, you're, you are supposed to be tenacious guards of your home. Now, let me show you how this manifests itself just recently in my home, right? So I've got this little girl. I have four kids, but I have one little girl in particular. She's very argumentative. Um, her speech tears down, okay? Um, like I have a four-year-old naysayer in my home. Now, she's four, and that's something that we can look at and go, oh, she's sassy. And that, isn't that so cute? Like, she's mean to people. Okay, we can do that, which is done a lot. But here's the problem, see. Jenny is the garden keeper along with me of my home. Like, she is my, like, sniper on the watchtower, Right? She sees this. She has reported the behavior and it must be dealt with. Say, man, you sound like, dude, he's up, Brad. She's four. Yeah, here's the problem with that she'll be a 12 year old, contentious, mean, and unloving girl. And then you know what she's going to be? A 16 year old, contentious, and unloving, mean girl. And then she's going to be a 21 year old. And if we do not address that now, see, we have a problem because the issue that Clementine has even now as a four-year-old, that's a spiritual issue. Now, who's going to be, who is going to be held responsible for the attitude in that little girl? And I would argue that it's on me. And here's why it's on me, because the watch 
tower warrior sniper of my home identified it and she told me about it. And I'm not going to stand before the Lord, the creator of the universe, and have this conversation. Yeah, your daughter is jacked, but the fit helper that I gave you, that you had to have, that you wouldn't even be able to function without, yeah, I gave you that woman. She told you about this and you did nothing. I'm not having that conversation with God. So all that being said, men, for our families to thrive, for, for our wives to flourish, um, we have some pretty big responsibilities. And here's the reality, all across America, these responsibilities that I speak of are being neglected, and they're being neglected in different ways. Maybe in this room, they're being neglected. So today I want to discuss some just different types of men that, that neglect their responsibilities. And here, here, before we do this, let me, let me address, man, we have a ton of single people. Like, you're, you're here, and you're like, didn't know this was a marriage day, I would have stayed home. Listen to me. Um, single guys. So the guys we're going to talk about, you can be those guys. Like some of you are those guys. I know you're not married, but you're already these guys. And here's the reality. You don't wait until you're married to flip a switch and become like husband of the year. Like you are becoming that now. So God has a word for you here today. Um, single ladies. Beware of the guys we're going to talk about today. That's, that's what I would tell you. Like vet the guy that pursues you. Lest you marry a boy instead of marrying a man and you're miserable in 10 years. The Lord has something for you today, single ladies. So here are some types of men leading in homes all across the country. And maybe not all the types, but here are some of the types. Now, just to try to lighten the room up a little bit, if you listen to, anybody listen to 80s rock and roll? Like the, the first one makes sense to you? Uh, if you didn't, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, up in this general area, uh, just go listen to Mr. Roboto. You are welcome, okay? You are welcome in advance. First, the first man I want to talk about is Mr. Bravado Man. Now, this is the man that likes to seek to control his wife. It's also the man that is likely to exasperate his kids. It's likely that Mr. Bravado is not a servant leader. Like, this guy doesn't change diapers. You know why? That's his wife's job. That's Mr. Bravado. Like, you don't clean the kitchen. You don't run the vacuum, Mr. Bravado Man. And like you're super tough. I know that. You're super tough because you, you would, you're so tough that you would never go to like a daddy-daughter dance. And your MO is just correction, correction, critiquing, critiquing. And that's all you ever do. Encouragement never comes out of your mouth, Mr. Bravado Man. You lead out of guilt. 
And what you have forgotten is what the Lord taught us in 1 Corinthians is that love does not hold records of wrongs, but you are. And the culture in your family is one of condemnation and not of grace. Next, we have the career-centered materialist man. Now, this guy believes that, basically, he would sum up that masculine leadership is just basically financial provision. Like, if he's doing that, that's all that matters. And as a husband, here's what you think. You think it's primarily stuff that your wife wants, and you think it's primarily stuff that your kids want. When in reality, your wife and your kids want your emotions and they want your energy. They want you. But here's the deal. They know they're not getting you, so they'll take the stuff because they got to get something. So you think that you can catch up on intimacy and closeness later. But here's the problem with that. Later, your wife is going to be emotionally numb and your kids are going to be gone. You're like, Brad, i got to provide for my family. Of course you have to provide for your family. You think I don't know that? You think I don't know that the Bible teaches that if you don't provide for your family that you are worse than an unbeliever? I know that, but it never says put your career above your wife and your kids. Next, we have the angry bird man. Mr. Angry Bird. This is the guy that leads out of fear. And he knows nothing of tenderness. Like the tone of your voice and your physical strength, like that's what you use to control your house. And those living in your house, they always walk on eggshells. Like your mood determines everything. You slam doors, you punch walls, you storm out of rooms, you scream, spit. Like your emotions are your master. Mr. Angry Bird. And it's maybe you have forgotten or maybe it's just that you don't know that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Did you hear that? It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Romans 2, 4. Or maybe you haven't read Proverbs where it tells us that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Next we have the man is spelled B-O-Y man. Now this is the guy that's lazy or immature or both, right? This is the guy that like he's got hair all over his body. An eye test says, yeah, that's a man, but that's as far as it goes because he's very immature in his mind. He's very immature in his mouth. Well, this is the guy that loves to throw like John Piper zingers out there at you. You know what I'm talking about? This is the guy that will throw Matt Chandler zingers at you. But he has no idea what it's like to get on his knees before the Lord and actually seek the face of the Lord. This is the guy that quits when it gets tough. He bows out if the pastor ever asks him to do anything that's hard. And this is the guy that is not 
slow to speak and quick to listen, as James 1.19 tells us to be. You likely are not serving your wife, but you do critique her often. Okay. You likely are not serving the church, but you do critique her often as well. That's what boys do. Now, next we have a close cousin to the boy man. This is like, these guys are, are buddies probably, like boy men uh, and the legalist hyper-spiritual men. They, they hang out, very similar. And the legalist man or the hyper-spiritual man, they're not authentic. This guy's not authentic. He's not real. He doesn't share his struggles. He doesn't share his sin because he doesn't really have any. And here's what's sad about this, because this guy, God is teaching some awesome things too. Like God has his attention, the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God is like teaching him great things from Scripture. But the result of that is now arrogance instead of humility. And this guy critiques everything as well. And I liken this guy to the 13-year-old boy who hits puberty and desires to sit his dad down and teach him how to shave. The only difference is it's not physical puberty you're going through. It's spiritual puberty. And see, what you have forgotten is James 4, 6, you have forgotten that God opposes the proud. Like, that's an active term. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 29, 23 tells us it's one's pride that will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Next, we have the guy called Dr. Heden. The hedonist. See, this guy has a doctorate in a good time. This guy has a doctorate in fun. And in his mind, he's living. Like he's living life. But in reality, he's wasting his life. Like, dude, you are fun to party with, no question about it. But here's the reality. Nobody is following you. Like if we sat down and talked about your life goals... We are more likely to hear about how many points you scored in a midweek basketball game or what your latest benchmax was. We're likely to hear about that stuff more than we're likely to hear about gospel restoration in your city. Hedonists. Like you pursue your buddies. You pursue your business partners. But see, playing is more important to you than pursuing the Lord. And playing is more important to you than pursuing your wife. And playing is more important to you than pursuing your kids. And it's likely that maybe you've never experienced Matthew 6.33. Or maybe it's likely you read it backwards. Like, you read it and you saw, yeah, I'm going to seek and add all the things that I like and that I want. And then maybe someday when I have time, I'm going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
but you flipped it. Because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Or maybe you haven't read Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where we say, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let me step out of the sermon just for a minute, okay? Because, like, the hedonist, like, is not serving his church. The hedonist, he sees the needs of his church, but, like, his calendar's too full with fun stuff. So let me step out of this and give you an opportunity here. Now, this is going to be a daunting task. I'm just going to warn you up front. Like, this is going to be, like, you may break out into a cold sweat because I'm going to ask you to do something that is so difficult, okay? Um, We need men working with our kids. Like, we have a need. And here's the reality. If 12 men, if 12 men would step up and say, yeah, I will work two Sundays this semester, we would have that need met. Okay, dab your foreheads, because I know that was huge. Like, two Sundays... That's, it's rough, isn't it? The invisible man. Now this is the guy that can be invisible in a couple different spots, emotionally or spiritually invisible. And I want to dive into both of these. First, emotionally invisible. And here's the deal about the emotionally invisible. You're a good guy. Like you're so dependable. Like you are solid in almost all areas of life. You just don't say I love you. Like for you to grab your wife, grab her by the hands, grab her by her cheeks and look dead into her eyes and tell her I love you. You mean everything to me. You're so important I am so grateful for you. For you to do that is so foreign. You don't wrestle with your kids in the floor. You don't tuck them in. You don't tell them how proud of them you are. Like you've never looked at your kids and told them how excited you are for what God is going to do in and through them as they grow. I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean, you would. You want to do those things, but you're tired from work and, like, sports center's on. So you just emotionally disconnect. Brad, I'm just not an emotional guy. I ain't buying it. I'll just tell you straight up, I'm not buying it. Because I've heard guys say that, and then I know what happened two weeks ago when the Titans came in and beat the Chiefs. And you're going to tell me you're not emotional. Like, I, I saw a bunch of you when the Royals won a World Series. I'm not buying it. And when you're emotionally absent, you're communicating unintentionally probably that to your wife, hey, you don't matter, or to your kids, or you don't matter. At least you don't matter as much as the chiefs or you could be spiritually absent 
This is the guy that does not seek the Lord's face. You do not seek the deep things of the Lord. You do not pray with your family. Like it's hard for you to take your wife and your kids to the Bible and to show them the promises of God. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, that's what Daniel and Brad's for. Like, they can do that. Okay, let me step out of the sermon and do another side note. Maybe you feel like you're not qualified to do that. I get it. And my point, man, the last thing I want anything, I do not want to shame anybody here today. That is not the goal. So I hope that's not happening. But here's what I want to tell you guys. Maybe you're like, I can't take my wife to the Bible. I don't even, well, Lucky for you, we want to equip you in that. And we have a thing called process of Bible study. And you know what? You're going to have to get up early for about 11 Thursday mornings to come to that. Do you want to be able to take your wife to the Bible and show her the promises of God? Because right now we've got about 11 guys signed up for that. So I'm going to let you crunch numbers. We've got about 350 guys that go to this church. When you're spiritually invisible, you are unintentionally communicating that you are not a safe place. Like your wife needs to be able to go to you about her spiritual needs, about her worries, about her failures. Otherwise, she'll feel alone. And here's the deal, your kids will too. So dads, I need, dads, just give me, give me eyes for a minute because here's the reality. Like Psalm, read, Scott read earlier, Psalms 46, 1, says, God is our refuge. Think about the safety of God being our refuge. Now, dads, give me your eyes. Your kids' view of God is their view of you. Okay, and specifically those with young kids here. You are God to your kids. You don't have to like it. You can think that I'm being... Heretic, whatever. I'm just giving you the reality. What your kids think of you, they think of God. Are you a refuge for your kids? Like, do you make much of Jesus in your home? Married men, you should desire to be the primary pastor in your home. And then let me and Daniel and the pastors of Hill City come by and supplement that. You can do it. Any of these guys, you? Guilty man talking. Guilty man talking. Are more than one of these guys you? Guilty man talking. Man, Brad, Brad, I don't, I don't want to be that type of guy. Like I want my, I want my wife to thrive. Like I don't even really know what to do. Like, like how do I do it? Here's the deal. Number one, go back to Ephesians 2 and rest in this because I don't want you to feel shame. I don't, let's not know that God is rich in mercy. If you're looking at this and you're like, man, I am that guy. I don't care if you're single, 
married, if you're looking at this list and you're like, I am that guy, know and rest that God is rich in mercy. Rest in that. That's where you got to start. And number two, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look to him as an example. Let's look to the one who's rich in mercy as an example. And he gave us an example. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I want you to go there. Ephesians 5, 25. Now, because here's the deal. We can't just like tackle everything we need to tackle in this 40-minute window. But we're going to look at an example. And while you're turning there, I will t- men, here's the best thing for you. Get around some men. Get around some other men. This church is full of godly men who you can go to. And you can just be around. And we can help each other. Well, I just want to give you a little bit of direction this morning. Now, let me talk to the single people one more time at least, just directly. Um, I know you turned to Ephesians 5.25 and you're like, great, he's reading like the married verse again. Okay? No, I'm reading the Jesus verse. Okay? Let's, get, let's, let's be clear there. But I want you to know that we would be unloving to you. We would be doing you a disservice to not teach on this while you are single. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, I know you've heard that. And it's like, man, Brad, how did Christ love the church? Because I think all too often we go straight to, like, the death. Like, he died for it, right? But I see this more as a two-part. Like, love Christ as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's a way Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So husbands, how do we love like Christ? Here's the thing. Christ came. Here's number one. I'm going to give you a couple points. Number one, Christ came and loved first. Christ came and he loved first. Husbands, it doesn't matter what your wife is doing or isn't doing that you think she should be doing or shouldn't be doing, you go love her first. Jesus came and loved first. Do you know what that means he did? It means he pursued. Jesus pursued her. So I was doing some reading, doing some studying, and here's what I found, both in Christian writing and secular writing. Do you, know, you, do you know why women have affairs on their husband? Here's what I found. Number one, the husband becomes distant. Number two, there's no connection anymore between wife and husband. And number three, there's no pursuit from the husband. So now let's look, at how, let's look at how Jesus loved the church. Was Jesus distant? No, he came and he dwelt among us. Was there connection? Yes, we can connect. Listen to this. I know ladies, you're thinking, man, if I could do this with my husband, it would be awesome. Listen, we can connect with God any time of the day, any time of the night, any time. How? Through prayer and then opening his word. And I don't care what time of the day it is. You talk to God. You know what he's doing? He stops and he's listening. That 
That's how Christ loved the church. That's how Christ connects with us. And he desires that through prayer and his word. Then pursuit. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you are here for one reason. That is because Christ pursued you and he invaded your heart and it was of nothing that you did. And that is the gospel. Christ pursued So here's some transparency, right? This is the least fun moment of the sermon for me, okay? I'm going to sit down to do this. So um, about a month ago, I sent my wife an email, right? Like that was a coward's approach in and of itself. But I sent her an email asking some questions, okay? And I asked her these questions. Am I distant? Am I disconnected? Do I pursue you? That's what I asked her. Now, I totally sent that to her in pride. Like, I'm just, listen, transparency here. I'm expecting this email back where she's going to be like, baby, you crushing it. <laughs> and like, you're so good at these things that I think you should travel the country and like tell people how to do husbandry. <laughs> right? I'm just waiting for this. Um, that is not the email I got back. <laughs> I did not get an email back from my wife that says, no, you're not distant. Yes, I feel connected. Yes, you pursue me. Um, guilty man talking. And I opened her email, like when she sent it, I saw that she replied and like, in this sort of posture, right? I'm here ready to read it, and then I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, 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 geez. See, Jenny and I live in what, what I call survival mode a lot, right? We have four kids, six, five, four, and two, and look, I'm just going to tell it like they're crazy, okay? My kids are crazy. So we live in survival mode a lot. Now, whose responsibility is it to not allow survival mode to become the norm? I would argue that if I'm loving Jenny like Christ loved the church, that I'm responsible for that. Like, I have to be close to her. I have to connect to her. I have to pursue her. And I have to do all those things first. If I'm loving her like Jesus. So how did Christ love the church? He came and he loved first and then, and then gave himself up for her. Now, men, it's likely you're not going to die on a cross for your wife. You're not going to probably die a physical death for your wife. So for the guys in the room, they're like, I love my wife. I'd take a bullet for her. Oh, bravo. Right? Like that doesn't even remotely get you on the list for husband of the year. And you're probably not going to have to do it. So what's he talking about here? Like give himself up for her. Let's give you a couple areas where you need to consider giving yourself up. Single guys, you need to do this. Give yourself up in purity. Give yourself up in personal purity. Men, 
You have to be a one-woman man. Single guys, look at me. You got to be a one-woman man now. Are you? Like your wife needs to know and feel and experience that she is the only woman in your life, the only woman for your eyes, the only woman for your emotions. Do what you have to do so that your wife knows that your emotional connection is only for her and no other woman. Do what you have to do so your wife knows that your eyes belong to Jesus. You hear me? I didn't say that your eyes belong to her. Do what you have to do so that your wife know your, knows your eyes belong to Jesus. And if she knows your eyes belong to Jesus, she knows they're going to be only for her. Now, just something practical, and I'm not telling you like you have to go do this. This isn't like a pastor move where I'm saying every man needs to go home and do this right now. I'm just going to give you an idea of something to consider. Some of you need to make your life more accessible to your wife. Like your calendar, your passwords, your email, all that. You need to consider doing that. Give yourself up for her and personal purity. Secondly, give yourself up in confrontations or disagreements. Don't be the guy that always has to win the argument. And that takes humility. We get countless examples from Scripture. I want to take you. 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us an awesome example of this. Okay? Starting in verse 20, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 22, it says, He committed no sin. Well, we obviously know who that is. There's only one person that can ever say that about, Jesus. Jesus is the he. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now, here it is. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly, men, take initiative to bring peace. If for no other reason, take initiative to bring peace because Jesus did it with you. Give yourself up. Philippians gives us another example of that. And I would argue, men, if you're married, Philippians chapter 2 starts with you and your wife. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Allow me to reread this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count your wife more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also the interest of his wife. And have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. Like, do you know why we rehearse the gospel here every single Sunday? We do. Like, if you're new here, like, everything we sang through is very intentional. It's a picture of the gospel. We're going to take communion, right? And that is the gospel. We rehearse the gospel here over and over and over again. 
And we do that because we know our practices shape our beliefs. But listen, another reason we do that is because we want to be so gospel-saturated that it covers us in all areas, especially in our marriages. Gospel saturation. Just look. Look at the last words I read out of Philippians, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We cannot keep from being those men on our own. It's ours in Christ Jesus. Like Jesus is who we have to have. He gave us this design and he gave it for the flourishing of humanity. He wants us to thrive. Thrive. 